Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter podcast for the seventh day of February 2020. No, it's the eighth day of February 2024. It's Thursday, not Wednesday. Thank God. Anyway, welcome to it. Don't forget about uh, the Week in Effin' Review and the contest to get me to write something dirty or whatever the hell your mind can come up with. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. In my book, and uh, somebody commented the other day that they want to win, but if they don't win, they'll take a book plate. I got to try and find a book plate. But if I can find a book plate, I'll send you a book plate. My office is such a freaking mess right now. Uh, Anyway, check out those websites. Appreciate the support. If you get a minute, write a review over at iTunes, if you don't mind. You don't even have to have iTunes, I don't think, to do it. Maybe you do. I don't know. But I appreciate it. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Tell your enemies. Let's annoy them. Let us, uh, let's get started so we can get done. But there's a lot of stuff going on today. We had a primary out in Nevada that doesn't count. It does, I don't understand why you go, bother going through the motions on this. Like, what is the point? Why do you have a primary and a caucus the caucus is next week or this weekend or something like that. it doesn't matter but it is uh coming up and they had a primary that didn't matter because i don't know the rnc said the caucus is what counts the state said the caucus is what counts why go through the motions and we do have a winner we had a, a blowout winner it was a huge huge victory tonight 60 last night 63.2 percent for none of the above <laughs> none of the above now you had to you had to participate in one or the well you don't have to participate in either but the candidates had to choose do you want to go into the primary do you want to go into the caucus since the caucus is the one where the delegates are awarded you should have gone into that one but that's the one Donald Trump is going to win. So Nikki Haley decided to go into this one and then started. Well, once it became abundantly clear that she was not going to catch fire, let's put it that way, to put it mildly, that she was not going to be the candidate of choice for the caucus or for the uh, primary voters. She then sort of said that the whole thing was being rigged by Donald Trump and the state and didn't really campaign for it. But she signed up for it. You didn't have to sign up for either. So uh, she got 30% of the vote, 30.5% of the vote. So it was 43,893 votes for nobody, 21,119 votes for Nikki Haley, this is one of the times that Nikki Haley won't even bother to say, we came in second. We came in a close second. Boy, we put the scare, we put the fear of God into nobody by getting less than half the number of votes that nobody got. Yeah, Mike Pence came in third with 4%. Tim Scott came in fourth with 1.4%. And then people I've never even heard of. Heath Fulkerson. I don't know who Heath Fulkerson is. He came in dead last. He's got to have a big family because he got 89 votes. Or 0.1%. Donald Carones came in second to last with 143. 
Hirsch, 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 Singh got 183 votes, so good for him. And John Anthony Castro led the people who the NBC News didn't even have a picture of caucus with uh, 235 votes. So congratulations to all the candidates. You all lost combined to nobody, to none of you. (laughs) The Republican voters who bothered to show up for a caucus that doesn't count resoundingly said pass, hard pass on all of them. This would, I don't know, be seen as a message to some people, but it is not a, uh, a message to Nikki Haley. She's still going to go on. She's hanging her hat on South Carolina, and then we'll see what happens after that. She seems to be portraying the idea that she's going to stick around till Super Tuesday. But I suspect that she won't. Sooner or later, you keep chalking up L's. You either run risk of becoming John Kasich or you recognize that if you want to have a future at all in the party without being, not because somebody's going to ruin you, but because you're going to make yourself a laughing stock, you kind of have to just step away. You just kind of step away. So congratulations to Nikki Haley on advancing to the point of recognizing that it's just not your year. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. The one thing about this year that makes it very different is the presumptive Republican nominee, if he wins, can only serve one term. So you're not looking at possibly, you know, nobody could challenge the incumbent president in 2028. There is not going to be an incumbent president in 2028, no matter what happens, no matter who wins this time. It will be a wide open field. Now, there's a possibility that Donald Trump, should he lose this time, will try to run again in 2028. And quite frankly, I hope to God he doesn't. He will be too old. Everything he says this time about Joe Biden will be true next time about him. So I hope that this is it. This is now or never. I hope it's now. I hope he wins. But if he doesn't win, if he fails to pull off the Grover Cleveland, then he has to sort of recognize that it's just not going to happen again. Then he can paint his legacy any way he wants from the Kingmaker perch rather than being the king himself. But I suspect if he runs things right, if he runs things right, that's the caveat, there's no reason he shouldn't win this time. Things are going his way. Things are going great. The Democrats themselves are wildly, wildly unpopular. It's kind of funny. There's a new poll out from uh, NBC News. You want to talk about approval, disapproval. It's amazing how Robert Kennedy Jr. has only a 27% positive, but only a 28% negative. So it's a minus one. You do the differential. I think most people, sadly, they don't know who Robert Kennedy Jr. is. I suspect that most of the positive is related to the first three, the Robert and the F and the Kennedy not so much the junior. People go, oh, I recognize that name. Not really sure why. 
Cornell West, who's running, I believe, on the Green Party, only has a net positive negative of minus three, meaning he has a 10% approval rating or positive thoughts and 13% negative. The Supreme Court, and you really want to talk about the damage the Democrats have done to the Republic. This is where you look. The Supreme Court has a net positive of 28%, or 28% positive view, 40% negative. A net negative of 12%. Now, the Supreme Court hasn't really done anything except anger liberals recently. These are the people who tell us threats to democracy. Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. Donald Trump is a threat to institutions. Blah, blah, blah. All of that garbage. And yet they attack a co-equal branch of government as illegitimate because they, based on the Constitution, which is the only thing they're supposed to base anything on, have determined that the liberal wish list of progressive policies are unconstitutional. And so rather than, I don't know, try to find a way to construct laws in a constitutional manner or as proscribed by the Constitution, amend said Constitution so that you can do those. People don't understand. You can do anything you want if you can amend the Constitution to make it constitutional, right? Pretty much. I'd be curious to see. I mean, you'd have to be a, a special kind of fascist to go, well, we really need to do it. You can repeal, though. You can, you can change other articles of the Constitution. I don't know that you can just directly contradict without repealing. But you can do all sorts of things if you go through the constitutional means to do it. But the left doesn't like that. That's an awful lot like work. And they also don't have the support necessary to get two-thirds of each House of Congress or three-quarters of the states to get on board with it. So they just go, meh. We need a court that allows us to just declare things to be. It's why, you know, they had Roe v. Wade for 50 years. Like, oh, they've taken away a right. They take The court sort of, quote, granted that right. The court created that right out of whole cloth. It was horribly decided law. It was a political agenda. It was not based on the Constitution. Even Darth Vader Ginsburg said that. And Democrats had 50 years, many of which of those years, they had, in fact, majorities in both houses of Congress that they could have codified into law anything they damn well pleased, including, and this will be an issue later on in the show, including abortion. They could have if it was so damned important to them. But if they codified it into law or got a constitutional amendment passed, that would be a a tall order. But even if they just codified it into federal law, how would you run on that? You maybe get one election cycle saying, look at what we did and Republicans want to repeal this. But that's about it. Honestly, that's about it. So then you have what? The issue is off the table. Republicans aren't really going to repeal that law, not very easily. Democrats would block it. There were times when Democrats had 60 votes in the Senate, could have done any damn thing they wanted. And then to repeal that would have required Republicans to have 60 votes in the Senate. And the Republicans have not had 60 votes in the Senate in, I don't know, maybe 100 years, or not 60 votes, but 
You know what I mean, enough to override a filibuster. They haven't. So if they had bothered, Democrats had bothered, if it were the priority that Democrats insist that it is, they could have made it legal and made it impossible or damn near to repeal it. But they didn't. They didn't even try, just like with immigration, which we'll get to later. They could have. Oh, it's so important. The system is broken. It has been for decades. Then why, when you had complete and total control of government in 2009 and 2010, did you not even try to, quote, fix the immigration system? Why did you not try to pass comprehensive immigration reform? They chose a health care takeover. They chose Obamacare. Congress could have multitasked, but they didn't bother because if you solve a problem, you can't run on the promise to solve that problem. Elections are about what you'll do in the future, not a reward for what you've done in the past. Democrats know this. They need to manipulate people. They needed to manipulate people. They played with fire. They, for 50 years, they said, Republicans are trying to take away the abortion. We'll protect, we protect abortion. And then they did absolutely nothing to, quote, protect abortion. Then suddenly the Supreme Court finally decided the case properly. And everybody runs around with their hair caught on fire. But of course, it's actually exactly what Democrats would prefer. And they're happy as hell that it happened. They don't admit that. It gives them an issue at a time when the alternative would be to run on Joe Biden's record as president. They don't want to do that. So they run on abortion, which is not really an issue. If you really want an abortion, you can get an abortion. Oh, but you can't go down to your corner store. I can't go to the corner store and buy eggs. They don't have eggs at the the little liquor store. that maybe I I think I can get milk there. They don't have it. Am I oppressed? I have to drive two miles to get eggs. If I really want eggs, I have to decide. Do I really want eggs? Do I want to put on shoes? Do I want to put on pants? If you really want something, you can get it. It doesn't have to be easy. If I wanted a nose job, there's, you know, doctors around here. I don't know that any of them could do a nose job. I'd probably have to go a little ways to find a nose job. And then to get somebody who did a good nose job, I'd probably have to go even further. Am I oppressed? Am I being denied my rights as an American to rhinoplasty? I don't think so. Just because it's not set on a T for you doesn't mean you're somehow being oppressed. Anyway... Back to the unpopularity of our politicians, the damage that uh, they're doing to institutions. Donald Trump has a total positive of 38%, according to the NBC News poll, and a negative of 52%. He's underwater 14 points. Right behind him, actually right with him, is Joe Manchin, Democratic senator from right over there in West Virginia. He, of course, has lower numbers in both categories because most people don't know who the hell he is he's got a positive view a positive thought from 11 percent and a negative uh, from 25 percent for a net negative 14 percent there's nobody in politics who's popular then we get nikki haley who just got doubled up by nobody please nobody i'm starving to death you want a sandwich no i'll have nothing i want nothing to eat here (laughs) 
Nikki Haley has a positive uh, rating of 23% and a negative rating of 38% for a net negative 15%. That's within the plus or minus, the the, uh, margin of error, but still doesn't really bode well for her. Then comes President Senile. Positive view of him, 36% of Americans. Negative view, 54% of Americans. His net is negative 18 points. Way less popular and outside the margin of error than Donald Trump. And then at the end, bringing up the caboose, showing that this country proving once again, that this country is nothing more than a cesspool of white supremacy and evil. We have the Vice President of the United States of America, Kamala Harris. Her total positive, 28%, I don't know who these people are, but 28% of Americans have a positive view of Kamala Harris. And 53% have a negative view of Kamala Harris. Her net Negative is 25 percentage points. That is right, ladies and gentlemen, fully seven percentage points less popular in the differential than the president of the United States. Kamala Harris, this is their plan B. This is the Democrats' plan B. If you don't like Joe Biden, vote for Biden-Harris anyway because Kamala's there. And people look at her and go, we'd rather have the senile guy. But I don't want the senile guy. They recoil in horror at the top and bottom of the ticket. It's going to make Donald Trump's choice for vice president all that more interesting and, frankly, all that more, much more important. While he's more popular personally from a differential point of view and from just a raw numbers point of view, if he can pick somebody, obviously not anybody on this list because none of them are particularly popular, but if he can find somebody, doesn't have to be popular, probably won't be known necessarily widely to an audience across the nation at the beginning, but if he can find somebody who doesn't have an instinctive, doesn't cause an instinctive recoil in horror or disgust like, say, Kamala Harris has, that will bode very well for him and the Republicans come the fall. We'll see. It's up for grabs. Nobody knows who he's going to pick, but it uh, it's a pretty easy bar to clear if all you really got to do is be more popular than the Democrats because the Democratic president and vice president are wildly, wildly popular. And right now on the national stage of people running for president or maybe running for president, They're the least popular people out there. And uh, there's other national political news. Ronna Romney McDaniel, the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, is planning to, according to reports, step down. Step down, step down, step down. And now why? She just ran for re-election last year. She should have stepped down then. Like, honestly, she she should have never been re-elected. She should have never been. She is probably, I hate to say it, Michael Steele, <clears throat> who's now a complete tool of the left. Michael Steele was a more effective Republican National Committee chairman than uh, Ronna Romney McDaniel was. Honestly, Michael Steele, at least, presi- while he blew a lot of money and there was a lot of strip clubs, et cetera, et cetera, and a whole bunch of dubious things, they all 
kind of do that. Not an excuse, but they all do. He at least won back the House of Representatives in 2010. So we got that. Ronna Romney McDaniel presided over the wholesale collapse of the Republican Party. She really did. I don't know how you could do more to watch it collapse unless you did. Uh, you went on Rachel Maddow and endorsed Joe Biden. Like that's about the only way you could be more damaging to the Republican Party. The story. Let's see. The chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, Ronna McDaniel has told former President Donald J. Trump that she is planning to step down shortly after the South Carolina primary on February 24th, according to two people familiar with the plans. Now, if you step down in the middle, you ran for this job, it's an admission that you, you suck at the job. There's money problems. The RNC was looking to borrow $10 million because they'd blown through a whole bunch of money. Apparently, and this is a problem for damn near everybody in entrenched power, and make no mistake, she's entrenched. She's been in since 2016. They like the perks of the job. No, she's been in since 2018. Sorry. They like the perks of the job. They do like the perks of the job. Why? Because, well, they get to spend other people's money. If you had an organization that raised tens of millions of dollars every year, and you started off as an idealist and boy how do you want to use every penny right you want to use every penny sparingly you want to use it properly and in the best way possible and you do that and you raise more money and you win or you whatever it is you don't win you lose you you exist and you keep raising more money and you keep saying you want to do more you want to do this that and the other thing and you realize that you're spending a lot of time going to airports catching flights well, on occasion, somebody says well, it's just not possible to get from here to there unless we charter a plane. Oh, well, don't really like that. It seems like a waste. But if we can't do it in any other time, then I guess we're going to have to charter a plane. And once you break that dam, it becomes a hell of a lot easier to start justifying it. Why? Because you chartered a plane. You got to both events. The thing that you see is you got to both events. That's what's important. Going to both events was the job. The plane was just the means by which you got there. And you go, oh, okay, well then, good. We're good now. We can do that again sometime. We'll do it again. It becomes easier the second time. It becomes easier the third time. And then it becomes commonplace. Then it becomes convenient. Because you go, well, we can do more events. If I don't have to wait for the Southwest flight, and I can just drive right up to the private jet and then drive away from the private jet, and we, I can do a lot more events not really not really a clever scheduler could find a way around that but you find a way to justify it to yourself and then it becomes commonplace you don't even bother to find a way to justify it to yourself anymore once you get used to it and that adds up that costs a lot of money it also sets a tone from the top Everything trickles down. If you are frugal or cheap or whatever you want to call it at the top, then that will be reflected on other people, especially if you hold the people below you to that same standard. You maybe choose somebody out. Maybe you let somebody go for abusing the expense account or what have you or whatever it is. You set that tone. People understand. 
the line has been drawn and the line actually matters. So they all agree to it and they recognize and they work that way. But if you move the bar in the other direction, that example is being set too. And that example will be followed. And then you start losing on top of it. She should not, Harmeet Dillon should have been the Republican National Committee chairwoman because, and she challenged Ronna last year, but she lost. Ronna McDaniel was a failure, but in politics, it's not about success, really, unless you achieve success on your own. If you somehow overpower the machine, then maybe the machine will respect you. But otherwise, the machine just keeps on rolling on. One hand washes the other. Ronna McDaniel is there. She's chairwoman. She's just going to stay. She probably could have won again. The real question is, since Harmeet Dillon has said she's not interested in the job, is who do you get for this? Who do you get to run the Republican National Committee? The Republican National Committee job is part PR and mostly fundraising. Now, I think you're better off if you're inclined to give money to politicians or give money during elections. You are much better off giving it to the candidates you support directly. There are limits on that and restrictions and everything like that. You can give more to the parties. I get it. If you really got more money and you know what to do with it, then absolutely go ahead, knock yourself out. But if you really want to help a candidate, give to the candidate. Most people can't max out to a candidate, let alone the Republican National Committee. But one name being floated around to just demonstrate how stupid this was and how it's really not a matter of principle or it wasn't a matter of principle. It wasn't quite the matter of principle that the people who orchestrated it claimed it to be. Matt Gates, Florida congressman. There's uh, something called the Calvin Coolidge Project on Twitter. They tweeted out last night, New source familiar with the RNC tell me that Kevin McCarthy is a dark horse candidate choice to replace Ronna McDaniel as RNC chairman due to his fundraising abilities. Kevin McCarthy, former Speaker of the House, former member of the House, I don't think he's still now. I believe he resigned at the end of last year. Who was run out by five Republicans joining up with all the Democrats and saying he's not conservative. He's not this. He's not that. We need a conservative leader in the House of Representatives. We need and leading to that whole disaster, that PR disaster, the shooting themselves in the foot. That Kevin McCarthy. Well, that coup against Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House was led by Matt Gates. Matt Gates of Florida, upon seeing the idea being floated or whatever the rumor being reported that Kevin McCarthy, because of his fundraising prowess, is the dark horse candidate for RNC chair, tweeted it out with the following comments. Quote, I fully endorse Kevin McCarthy for RNC chair. Kevin is well-organized and a very high-revenue fundraiser. 
He will also be well-liked by the RNC committee. The RNC chair doesn't have any policy decisions, set any agenda, or negotiate against Democrats ever. Kevin would be terrific. So that's like getting your coach, getting your quarterback fired, or whatever. Let's just say it's a quarterback. Get your quarterback fired. Then the head coaching job comes up. and say, you know who would be great in that? We had to get rid of the quarterback because he made horrible game-time decisions, threw a lot of interceptions, was always afraid to take a hit, so he, he was easy to fumble, glass jaw, quarterback, just terrible, and his aim was awful. You put a little pressure on him, he's throwing a pick six easy. But then the head coaching job comes open. You go, you know who'd be good for the head coaching job or the general manager job to really put the team together? That guy I just said sucked at the game. He's terrible at the game. He's out there. He would be good because he's good at strategy. Hmm. So he knows what to do. He just doesn't do it or he's incapable of doing it or he doesn't like doing it or he doesn't believe in it. Which is it? Either Kevin McCarthy is fit to lead or Kevin McCarthy is not fit to lead. Personally, I don't think Kevin McCarthy is such a bad idea for RNC chair. But because he's able to, you know, articulate a conservative message on television. But the irony of Matt Gates sitting out there from his perch of superiority going, this, this, this he'll be good. He'll be good at this because he has no negotiations with Democrats. Uh, well... You have no negotiation position with Democrats, Matt. You don't you don't negotiate with you have not in a position to negotiate with Democrats. You're a backbencher. You're a backbencher who gets on TV. So that makes you think you're a frontbencher, but you're not a committee chairman. You don't really matter. You're relatively new to Congress and you decide for everybody what you think is best for the Republican caucus when you're sitting there in a sixty-five to seventy percent Republican district where your seat is safe. I do love these so-called principled Republicans who say, I don't take a penny of PAC money. You don't have to. You don't even have to run a campaign. So yeah, it's really easy. If you show up at a press conference where you're uh, pouring sugar into everybody's gas tank, calling your constituents morons while throwing puppies into a wood chipper by the tail, and you still pull off a victory with 70% of the vote, forgive me if I don't think that you're maybe the greatest strategist in all of politics, that maybe your advice shouldn't be listened to. You're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Of course you want to go to war. It's the people who end up being casualties who run risk of being casualties, who you take a dump on. Tell you, oh yeah, you can have the high road of principle, whatever you think your principles might be. But all the high road gives you, I say it often, and I only say it because it's true. In politics, all the high road gives you is a really nice unobstructed view of your defeat. So good on you, Matt Gates. Congratulations. You're, you're a hero to yourself. Well, that's enough circular firing squad for one day about Republicans. We've got enough going on with Democrats. (laughs) The president of the United States. Oh, dear God. The president of the United States. Now, there. I want to start off here. I've got uh, one, two, three clips. The first three clips here will go in order. Of Karine Jean-Pierre. She's so historic. 
She was asked, the president has, has uh, made some gaffes recently, to say the least. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to start off with Karine Jean-Pierre. I am going to talk about the president and uh, Mitterrand and Macron. Because this is telling. It'll set up the, uh, the president's senility. Francois Mitterrand... What's the president of France? You want to talk about senility. You want to talk about how you can tell somebody's going. Somebody's mind is slipping. When you deal with somebody, if you've ever dealt with anybody with dementia or Alzheimer's, their memories don't all go at once. The more recent, it's weird. It's like they're being, their memories are being erased backwards. Right? They remember things from long ago much better than they remember things from yesterday. Now, eventually it, it goes backwards. It's just weird. They, it's not that they don't remember last year. It's almost like last year didn't happen sometimes, if that makes sense. It's not, you know, it didn't, uh, it's confused. And I can't, I know we did something last year. I can't remember what it is. It's, we went on vacation. Remember when we went camping? Like, you haven't been camping in 40 years. We just went camping not that long ago. That kind of thing. It kind of wipes out those memories. Comes and goes. Well, Francois Mitterrand was president of France from May 20th, 21st, 1981 until May 17th. 1995. He passed away January 8th, 1996, at the age of 79. Joe Biden has been in the United States Senate since January of 1973. He has, he, his term in the Senate, he was not even vice president at the time when Francois Mitterrand was alive. So there is no way he would have dealt with Francois Mitterrand on a, a peer level. Probably did meet him on occasion, state dinners, whatever, as a United States senator, probably since taxpayers would have funded it. More than likely took Jill over to France a few times and as a courtesy popped by as chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, popped by to say hello to Mitterrand, mostly because he liked to be pampered. That being said, in Joe Biden's last 30 years, Francois Mitterrand's been dead. And at a campaign event the other day, he turned into Haley Joel Osment <laughs> and confused Francois Mitterrand with Emmanuel Macron. Now, I guess both their last names start with an M, but Emmanuel Macron looks nothing like Francois Mitterrand. Francois Mitterrand has been dead. It's not even a name. Mitterrand is not a name. And that's the real thing, now that I think about it. Francois Mitterrand is not a name that Joe Biden should have said or even thought about for 40 years, 30 years, whatever. It doesn't matter. Even when he was in a position to do anything about it, Mitterrand was irrelevant and gone already. Not only gone from office, but gone from the world, from this plane of existence. There's no reason that Joe Biden should have thought of Francois Mitterrand or confused him. 
because he never had to really deal with it. And there have been quite a few presidents of France since then. Sarkozy, remember Sarkozy? So that makes this clip all the more damaging, especially when you add in the energy, the lack of energy, the nothing. This is Joe Biden as his batteries are going. He needs to get to one of those Tesla charging stations. He needs to, I don't know, get around Hunter and do a little bump, do something to try and get the blood flowing again. He's running low on batteries. This is the point that I imagine staffers backstage are going, oh, my God, we're losing him. The meds are wearing off. We got to get up. We Wrap it up, Joe. Put up on the teleprompter. Wrap it up. Maybe they took his, his speech off the teleprompter, and that's part of the problem. Who knows? But listen to the president. This is just the other day talking about uh, Emmanuel Macron and Francois Mitterrand and his delusions as when he first became president. People have pled guilty. You know, right, right, right after I was elected, I went to a, what they call a G7 meeting, all the NATO leaders. I was in, I was in the south of England. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean, from France, looked at me and said, uh, said, you know, what, why, how, how long are you back for? And I looked at him, and the, and the Chancellor of Germany said, what would you say, Mr. President, if you picked up the paper tomorrow in the London Times, and the London Times said, a thousand people break through the House of Commons, break down the doors, two bobbies are killed, in order to stop the election of the prime minister. What would you say? I never thought about it from that perspective. What would we say if that happened in another democracy around the world? You have him up there going, oh, I was in the, they said, Mitterrand, they said, Mitterrand told me, we've got, uh, uh, how long are you back for? What kind of question is that? How many, how many people believe at the G8, G7? I guess the G7 now again, they contracted. How many people believe at the G7 summit, the world leaders are going, oh no, how long are you back for? Do you really believe that they thought the term of Donald Trump was so absolutely terrible? Do you really believe that for a second? That the term of Donald Trump was so absolutely hellacious that they could not possibly have dealt with it. And oh, thank God, the United States was gone as a world partner. But now they're back. Now they're thankfully back. Oh my God, they're back. Does anybody believe that? That's not how world leaders talk to each other. Would we not have heard this before? If this were true, if at the G7 summit, all of these elderly world leaders... We're chest bumping each other over the idea that Joe Biden was president of the United States. And they're like, oh, thank God. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Woohoo. Anybody believe that? Now, they might have been happy that Joe Biden was president of the United States, but largely because that meant they could steamroll him. He's a bit of a sucker. He's not exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer this is you know not a known this is a known open secret so you don't really have to worry about 
good old Joe screwing things up, he'll do whatever you kind of tell him to do. But what a disaster that he's up there going, and you have these... They said, when are you okay, you're back, but how long are you back for? Joe, dude, smack yourself in the face. Get somebody to go up there. Wear an electric shock collar, something to get you going. Something to get you going. Now then, just yesterday, we'll, we'll try this again with cut three. Just yesterday, the President of the United States was talking about the border bill. We'll get to more of his speech in a bit, but the it's not a border bill. That's one of the kind of things that drives me nuts. They refer to it as a border bill. More than half the money in it goes to Ukraine, right? It has nothing to do with, Ukraine has nothing to do with our border. So you get half the money going to Ukraine and then another, I don't know, 20% of it going to Israel. Whole bunch of other problems and money going to other things. And you go, well, wait a second. What, uh, if this is a border bill, why does so little, $118 billion bill, $20 billion of it goes to deal with the border? Does that sound like a border bill to you? It's not much of a border bill to me. So he's up there and he's asked a question about the potential for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. Now, they've been putting the full court press on Israel. It's weird. They don't seem to be putting the full court press on Hamas very much. But they really want Israel to stop. Will you just stop? Will you please just stop? Please just stop. Well, Joe tries to talk about that. And he gets lost. And at one point, you can't really hear it in the audio, but a reporter, when he goes, yeah, Hamas, because he talks about the opposition. He couldn't remember the name of Hamas. And a reporter bails him out because that's what good reporters do. (laughs) They look look at their subject and they go, you know what, this guy needs my help, as all good reporters do. And they bail him out. They, They say, you mean Hamas? Yes, Hamas, Hamas, that's right. But it's not just how he says it is what he says it is. It's how he says it. It's his energy. It's the problem. Listen to this whole thing and the tone and tenor of what Joe Biden is trying to say. There is some movement, and I don't want to, I don't want to, well, maybe choose my words. There's some movement. There's been a response from the, uh, the, the, there's been a response from the opposition but, um, it, it, yes, I'm sorry, from Hamas. But it seems to be uh, a little over the top. We're not sure where it is. There's a continuing negotiation right now. You heard him bailed out there. He has no idea what he's saying. He can't, re- there's two parties in this. There's Israel and Hamas. And he's at a loss. Like the, the, uh, the opposition. The opposition, you mean like an opposition party in the Israeli Knesset or no, you mean the terrorists, right? The opposition. He's not well, ladies and gentlemen. He's not well. He's seeing dead people. Francois Mitterrand came back and haunted my dreams. And then you've got him having the inability to recall Hamas. 
again, he was likely briefed about the situation in Israel either that morning or the day before. The short-term memory goes first. When you're suffering from dementia, his short-term memory's been gone for a long time. So then Corinne Jean-Pierre, historic Corinne Jean-Pierre that she is, she was asked about this by Peter Ducey, particularly and specifically about the Mitterrand comment, because the White House has to try and find a way to convince the American people that Joe Biden is up to the job. Would What job would you, if you had to give Joe Biden a job in your life, what job would you give him? Pudding chewer? Like, I don't know what, what you would qualify him for. You know what? Uh, not going to be driver. Not going to be cleaning my house. Not going to be uh, watching the kids. Not going to be, I don't know what he would, he's not going to cook. I'm not going to put him near anything flammable. Wouldn't trust him to mow the lawn. He'd probably run himself over. So I don't know what he would do. Like official pudding taster? Matlock spotter? Well, Corinne Jean-Pierre will have none of it. She says she's not going to go down that rabbit hole and says, well, you've seen the president in all these different places. And the problem is for Corinne Jean-Pierre is, yes, we have seen the president in all of those places. And he has senior moments, not as bad as these two, but he has senior moments in those places that she mentions too. And he also, every single time he speaks, whether he makes a gaffe or has a moment or whatever, when he is done, he does that unstable, unsteady senior shuffle off the stage. The hunched over, please God, don't let me fall. I'm not going to pick my feet up too far kind of thing. But he does it in a little bit of a hurried way to make it what he thinks look like he's walking at a normal pace, but he's just not. It's not a normal gait. So anyway, listen to this exchange between Karine Jean-Pierre and Peter Ducey. How is President Biden ever going to convince the three quarters of voters who are worried about his physical and mental health that he is okay, even though in Las Vegas he told a story about recently talking to a French president who died in 1996? I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole with you, what? sir. What is We're going to go. Hole? Go ahead. He said go he ahead. talked to Mitterrand. Go ahead. In you saw the president in Vegas, in California. You've seen the president in South Carolina. You saw him in Mich- Michigan. I'll just leave it there. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> she has, you know, when you don't have an answer, be indignant. Pola, how dare you? If you can't respond to something, Pola, how dare you even ask such a thing? Why? Because you got nothing else. It's the same equivalent. It's the equivalent of slamming your hand down on the table and saying, that is it. I am leaving here. You don't have an answer to a question you know people are asking. You then say, how dare you even ask the question? That'll work. It'll work. There was not a single follow-up question. These are two significant brain farts that had happened to the President of the United States just this week. These were not little gaffes. These were significant what's-going-on-here moments that if Joe Biden were your dad or your grandpa, you would you'd have to have a family meeting pretty quickly. You'd have to go, we need to discuss whether or not we should maybe hide the keys. Do we allow dad to keep driving? 
is it time that, you know, somebody we'd already decided who's going to take dad in? Should we now do that? Should we let, you know, Billy know that he's got to get his guest room ready because the time has come for dad to to not be able to live alone. That's what you would do with Joe Biden if he were your parent. But as your president of the United States, oh, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. I'm not going, what rabbit hole? It's a legitimate question. There's, you know, senior moment. Oh, everybody, no matter what your age, will have a senior moment where you're looking at somebody going, I can't remember that guy's, what the hell is that guy's name? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about living in that senior moment, personifying that senior moment, getting lost and unable to recover from that senior moment. That's what Joe Biden... Joe Biden said mid-around several times. And never once goes, wait, what am I thinking? That guy's been dead for 30 years. That's the problem. In his mind, at that moment anyway, Francois Mitterrand not only wasn't dead for 30 years, Francois Mitterrand was the current president of France. That's pretty scary. Says we're talking about uh, Joe Biden's senility and Joe Biden just in general state of BSitude. I want to start off this next clip in Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security. The House failed to impeach him yesterday by one vote because, well, honestly, I'm of two minds of this. The guy is refusing to do his job. I believe that is an impeachable offense. But I understand other people are saying, you know, it's more of a policy difference in the real problem. And I agree because I've, I've written about this. I've talked about this before. The real problem is Congress writing vague laws. Congress needs to write laws that are unambiguous and say the secretary must do this. The secretary must do that. And then instead they say the secretary shall or in a manner is determined by the secretary and they end up creating a a giant labyrinth of bureaucracy that can be pointed in just about any direction you want. And they leave up to the discretion of various cabinet members or various departments or whatever. All sorts of things. And you go, well, why did you write such a stupid, vague law? The real reason is they didn't want to. If you write specifics, then you can be held accountable for them. If you write a specific thing and it goes sideways, you can get in trouble with your voters, the unintended consequences. But if you write something that empowers a bureaucrat or a uh, cabinet secretary to do something stupid, doesn't say for them to do something stupid but it allows them to do something stupid if they choose to you then get to run around and go they're doing something stupid they're the problem this administration is the problem my political opponent is the problem and yeah sure they are except for the fact that you you empowered them to do it you could have easily written into the language express verbiage that requires them to do something. And you didn't. Why didn't you do that? Well, because then if if it was stupid, you'd get the blame. You couldn't complain about it. You couldn't go, the secretary did this. What would you have done? 
That's not the question. That's not the point. The point is the secretary did this. You just sit back and go, these people are idiots. Because, well, these people are idiots. So as you listen to the debate over whether or not Mayorkas should be impeached, I probably would have voted yes. But I would have made damn sure that he was violating the actual letter of the law. I'm not that familiar with the verbiage of immigration law. But I would show that he violated it rather than the spirit of it. But that being said, putting that aside, back when he first came into office, along with Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas had a speech to the Conference of Mayors. This was, of course, before the border absolutely went to hell and the mayors were all going, oh my God, we're over it. So back when Sanctuary City was a virtue signal with no consequence for these Democrat mayors, Alejandro Mayorkas made clear, now this should be grounds for impeachment, made it clear that simply being in this country illegally is not good enough reason for the United States to deport you, which it has to be. It absolutely has to be. I don't know. Then there's there's really literally, if that's what the law says, you need to change the law. But if that's even the spirit of the law, it can be some sort of bastardized reading of the law. The law is insane. Or Alejandro Mayorkas is a special kind of stupid. They never should have probably confirmed him in the first place, but Democrats were in charge. Democrats get what they want. Democrats have no... St- oh, you're a Democrat? Okay, you're in. That's that's about the standard. Republicans reject Republican nominees. Democrats do what they're told. But listen to the, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, say that being here legally isn't grounds for deportation in and of itself. Unlawful presence in the United States will alone not be a basis for an immigration enforcement action. Now, he's talking like a lawyer, but that's what he's saying. Illegal presence in the United... Being in your country. Entering illegally. Not enough for... Then what the hell is the point? What the hell is the point? Because you're dealing with and talking to a conference at the time of Democrat mayors who proudly declared themselves to be sanctuary jurisdictions. A sanctuary jurisdiction is one in which every encounter with an illegal alien who are your moral superiors in every possible way and stimulate the economy in ways you as a stinking American can never possibly imagine. Those people are better than you. Those people are more important than you. Those people in that crowd were saying, we're not going to cooperate with ICE if we have any encounters with illegal aliens. Not only as you know a witness to a crime, we want them to testify. We want to put bad people away. So we're not going to, if you're a witness to a crime, we're not going to inform ICE on you. Don't worry about it. But if you are the person who commits a crime, if you are the person who commits a crime, we're not going to tell ICE. Now, wait a second. You're protecting witnesses of crimes so they can stick around and testify against bad people. That makes sense. But you're protecting then the bad people themselves? You won't? Somebody gets popped for DUI? Now Democrats say that that's not a good enough reason to deport somebody. 
So remember that if anybody you know is ever harmed or killed by a drunk driving illegal alien. Democrats have determined that drunk driving isn't a good enough reason to deport somebody. You, you'll lose your license, you'll lose your car, you'll lose your job, you may go to jail for it, but an illegal alien, you know what, it's a tough life living in the shadows, you got to kind of let them slide. That's their priority. I'm not exaggerating. Look it up. Joe Biden himself said that drunk driving is not a reason for deportation. So if anybody is ever injured or killed by an illegal alien drunk driver and they had a previous arrest for drunk driving, the blame for that goes squarely on Joe Biden's nose. Right where he puts weird ladies' hairs to smell. So now we had the president of the United States come out yesterday trying to, I don't know what he's trying to do. He's got this, whoever his handlers are, are not very good. It's a lot of the same people from Obama, but Obama, maybe Obama was the difference maker. Maybe Obama sat there, got the advice from these morons and said, this is, no, we're not going to go this direction because he wasn't this politically tone deaf. On some things he was, but not not very many things, and certainly not this completely tone deaf. They sent him out there to complain about Republicans. Now, if you're trying to work with people, what do you do if you're talking about them publicly? Do you go, God, I hate this jerk. I'm negotiating with these pieces of garbage at work. Boy, I hate my boss. Boy, this sucks. Boy, the other people do that. And your, your boss is sitting there going, waiting for you at the negotiating table going, what the hell? I tell you what, if I get this job, there's no way I'm going to do this job. I hate these people. I hate this, that, and the other thing. And you're going, well, you, why are you saying these things? What do you think is going to happen to it? My boss is uh, just a monster. History's greatest monster. and deserves to be uh, remembered as such. And then you go sit down and say, hey, okay, pal, let's uh, see if we can't come to terms on something that's mutually beneficial for both of us. And you go, why would I, why would I work with you? That's what Joe Biden does. Joe Biden goes up to Philadelphia. They light Independence Hall in blood red. They make it look like more Hitlerian than Nuremberg 1933. And Joe Biden gives a speech about how Republicans are evil and Nazis and they're coming for you and blah, 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 blah. And then you go, well, why the hell would they bother to work with you on anything then? If that's, if that's how, not what you think. I don't think Joe Biden thinks that at all. I think his handlers have decided that's a good strategy. I don't think Joe Biden gives a damn either way. He just does what he's told. But why in the hell would you sit across the table from somebody? Nazi, 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 none. You sit down with Nazis. Nobody ever thinks to go, Joe, if you think the Republicans are Nazis, why the hell are you trying to negotiate? Why would you try to negotiate with Nazis? I mean, it's pretty obvious they're not Nazis. They're not progressives. And the Nazis were progressives. But that's beside the point. If you're trying to cut a deal with somebody, you don't have to go up there and kiss their butt. But you certainly don't go up there and say, these guys, these people are horrible. They're monsters. I hate them with everything. You can't trust them. They're evil. They're threats to democracy. They're this, that, and the other. And also, by the way, yeah, the threat to democracy line. If you 
believe the other side is a genuine threat to democracy in any way, shape, or form, or just this side of a dictator hoping to destroy the country, why the hell would you negotiate with them? Why would you You just tell the American people, look, I can't work with this Congress. I'm not going to try to work with these people. These people are evil. There's something fundamentally wrong with these people. They're anti-American. They're dangerous. They're threats. I'm not going to work. For the good of the country, I can't. You can take it out on me in the ballot box, but for the good of the country, I can't work with these people because everything they want is leading to tyranny, and I will not be a party to that. But you don't get that. You get... He goes out and gives a campaign speech to his left-wing radical nutballs. And then he comes back in and says, all right, can we make a deal? It's like trying desperately to negotiate with, you know, the Ayatollah or trying to negotiate. Well, Joe Biden is actually doing that. Or trying to negotiate with Osama bin Laden. He's a monster. Why would you work with him? They speak actually more harshly about Republicans, even the president does, then they talk about the Hamas terrorists who killed 1,200 Israelis on October 7th. Have you noticed that? Isn't that a little bit weird? These people are threats to democracy. They're doing this, they're doing that, and they're doing the other thing. And I will stand up to them. And then in the next breath, we need to really find common ground and maybe get a ceasefire with Hamas. We need to worry about the civilians. And, uh, Mr. President, I have a couple questions. No questions, he runs out of the room. But anyway, listen to Joe Biden lie. Well, now let's do his opening statement first on the border bill. He comes out, he shuffles out. And again, you really have to wonder, why in the hell would you uh, negotiate with these people if this is how you view the opposition? They're not the opposition, they're the enemy. If you believe they're the enemy... Why would you Neville Chamberlain anything? For much too long, as you all know, the immigration system, and it's long past time to fix it. That's why months ago I instructed my team to begin negotiations with a bipartisan group of senators to seriously and finally fix our immigration system. For months now, that's what they've done. Working around the clock, through the holidays, over the weekends, it's been an extraordinary effort by Senators Lankford, Murphy, and Sinema. The result of all this hard work is a bipartisan agreement that represents the most fair, humane reforms in our immigration system in a long time, and the toughest set of reforms to secure the border ever. Now, all indications are this bill won't even move forward to the Senate floor. Why? A simple reason. Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump thinks it's bad for him politically. Therefore, he doesn't even know it helps the country, he's not for it. He'd rather weaponize this issue than actually solve it. So for the last 24 hours, he's done nothing, I'm told, but reach out to Republicans in the House and the Senate and threaten them and try to intimidate them to vote against this proposal. And it looks like they're caving. Frankly, they owe it to the American people to show some spine and do what they know to be right. <laughs> I love being lectured about spine by a bowl of jello. I love being lectured about what is right and moral and having the courage to stand up to your own party from somebody who cowers at the prospect of a negative tweet from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. 
Yes, please, Grandpa Badfinger, tell me again about how you stormed the beaches at Normandy. You can't even walk up the beaches of Rockaway. Spare me your righteous indignation. But a couple of things he said in there are interesting and telling and worthy of further exploration. Like, for example, a few months ago, he started negotiations with senators. Why? Why senators? There are two houses of Congress. There are two houses of, if you really want a deal, and this is a spending bill because you claim that you need to spend money to secure the border. You need 20 billion. All spending bills by the Constitution have to originate in the House of Representatives. You sit there and you go, well, Derek, how did this then come out of the Senate? Well, what happened is the House passes a whole bunch of things. All, most of them have to do with spending various things because our government is so corrupt. The Senate, Chuck Schumer, can take a House-passed spending bill, and it could be, you know what, we're going to spend 50 bucks filling this pothole. Literally, it could be that. It wasn't, but it could, could be. I don't know what the thing was. I couldn't find it. The Senate then takes that bill like they're going to take it up, and they strip out every word of the language, and they put in this bill. It has nothing to do with the spending that was sent over by the House that the Senate was never going to take up to begin with. And they say, now we're going to deal with this bill and they're going to pretend like it's just uh, it's along the lines of what the House had passed or in response to the House had passed or in addition to what the House passed. It had nothing to do with it. They just they have rules. There's the Constitution. And then they have the will of the party in power and they just go, let's screw that. Let's do this. That's how they get a spending bill to originate in the Senate. So it didn't technically originate in the Senate. They just took a piece of legislation that originated in the House, stripped it of its title, its bill name, and every text, every word in the legislation, and replaced it with what they wanted. And said, we're just taking up what the House sent us. We didn't originate this bill here. It's a lie. It's kabuki theater. Both sides do it. But if Joe Biden were serious, he would have negotiated with the Congress, both the House and Senate leadership. He did not because he doesn't want a deal. He wants an issue in the campaign. He needs to try and find a way to turn this around. And he also said for months now, he's been president for, th- for four years. He's in his fourth, going his fourth year. His party controlled Congress the first two years. He could have done anything he wanted, but he didn't. If this is a crisis for years that he's known about, why did he wait until now or even a a few months ago to bother to address it? It's because he doesn't. It became a polling nightmare, and so suddenly he has to pretend to care. So as you got Joe Biden up there running around talking about, oh, we need to do this, we need to do that on the border, keep in mind he never did anything about it, just like Barack Obama. 2010, 2009-2010, Democrats not only controlled the House and Senate, they had 60 votes in the Senate for a good nine months at that time. They could have done any damn thing they wanted. They could have done all the damn things they wanted. They could have, but they didn't. They rammed through Obamacare. They got bogged down in that fight. They didn't try to multitask. But they really didn't want to do immigration. Amnesty. That was what Joe. That's what uh, Barack Obama was promising. 
could have helped the sweet dreamers. He could have done so many things. He didn't do any of it because he didn't want to do any of it. He didn't really give a damn to do any of it. The point was never to do any of it because if you do something about it, how do you run on it? So when you hear the president going, these Republicans, they don't want to make a deal. They don't want to do this. It's important. I've been working on this for months. I've been working on this for Or as Corinne Jean-Pierre comes out and says, we introduced a, we sent a bill to uh, Congress for amnesty, and they call it border security. It's about as much border security as this bill is border security. When more than half of the money goes to Ukraine. Barely any of it goes to, it's about 10% goes to, or 20% goes to the border. The rest goes to other liberal pet projects. And you go, well, it's important that we address these things. Why didn't you address them before? Why'd you sign 92 executive orders in the first two weeks of your administration on doing what the previous administration had done, and now you say, oh, they caused the problem. They caused the, they caused the problem? On what planet did they cause the problem? It's like coming in and your house, uh, you got a whole bunch of crystals set up and there's just a little chip in one of those things. And you say, do you see this chip? You see this chip? And then you sweep the whole shelf clean. Goes smash. They ruined this whole shelf. We inherited a mess. That mess was that small chip on the foot of one of those things, this egg thing. Now, forget it. The whole thing has to be scrapped. We must replace everything. Why? There was nothing wrong with the other stuff. Well, there wasn't until you came along and decided to be a whirling dervish, a bull in a china shop, and smash everything. So to sit there... And in this cut here, this is the hilarious one where Biden says, well, the border is open because of Donald Trump. How is the border open because of Donald Trump? They have no answer for that. There's no, there's no question for that. Amazingly, there was no, I mean, aside from Peter Ducey, there was no questions about this BS statement at the press briefing. There won't be today. There won't be tomorrow. There won't be again. It's just gospel truth. They've already begun regurgitating it, spitting it up like they're a mama bird, barfing worms into the mouths of a baby bird when it comes to over on MSNBC. Swear to God, true story. But listen to Joe Biden say that this is all, the mess he made is all Donald Trump's fault. Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. It's time for Republicans in the Congress to show a little courage, to show a little spine. <laughs> you got to love it. Everybody's going to know it's their fault. Everybody, says Charles Manson. The reason the Tates and the Lobiacos are dead is because of uh, somebody else's. It's all somebody else's. I wasn't even in town that month. It's, they had it coming. They did it to themselves. Wait a second. I have a question, Mr. Manson. No questions will be taken. Ask my press secretary, even though you won't ask my press secretary. Can you imagine being this? How confident does your team have to be 
that you won't be asked about this, that no one will be asked about this, that no media outlet will connect these dots to go out there and put in the teleprompter that for the president of the United States to read. How cocksure do you have to be? I mean, it's, there's no other way to put it. Like, you're absolutely certain. The probability, the possibility, the prospect that anybody will challenge this administration, anybody in the media will challenge this administration on that point, is zero. So let's do it. It's unbelievable. Yet totally believable. What's also unbelievable but totally believable is the documents. Remember the President of the United States? He had uh, piles of documents in his garage, all over the place, in his office. He had them everywhere. And he had them dating all the way back to his Senate days. Classified documents, things he had zero right to have that should have been in a secure location. He was not even... As vice president of the United States, he didn't even have the ability to declassify things. He just was, he didn't care. What are the consequences for it? And all they all kind of happen to dovetail nicely with, at least tangentially, businesses and his son Hunter, uh, that his son Hunter had, that Joe personally benefited from. But no, no, Joe would never do anything nefarious like that, right? Well, after the investigation, they're not going to uh, prosecute. Well, there'll be no criminal charges filed against the president of the United States over that. Classified. Now, the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago over this. Now, part of that is Trump probably should have just given him back the stuff. But they uh, raided Mar-a-Lago over this. They took, remember, they took the picture. Somebody in that in that raid took the picture. Not only did they take the picture of the classified folders, not the documents, the folders laying on the floor. They then disseminated that picture to their friends in the media because they're so outraged. They are so sickened by what Donald Trump did, and they're so serious about national security that they had to show everybody a whole bunch of stuff that's classified in a leaked photograph about the president of the United States because it was about the PR war. It's not about anything else. And the world learned, hey, Joe Biden did the same thing. What the hell? And the response was, all right, all right, after a while. All right, fine, we'll look into what Joe Biden did. Stop being such a whiny little baby. It's not about what Joe Biden did. It's what Donald Trump did. But we'll look into what Joe Biden did. And we'll pretend here's a here's an independent counsel, a good friend of Joe's. They're going to look into what Joe... Oh, they... Shock of all shocks. They've discovered that hundreds of classified documents strewn about willy-nilly in places that were not secure at all. And by the way, the basement at Mar-a-Lago was secure. And when advised to get a cage to lock those things, the Trump people did just that. They did exactly what the National Archives asked them to do. Joe Biden just packed them up during uh, in his garage next to his Corvette, which his crack-addicted foreign government-entangled son had unfettered access to. How do I know that? Because he was caught driving around a couple of neighbor girls in that Corvette on camera. Why, is he doing anything nefarious with those neighbor girls? Probably not, but it's not for lack of wanting to because, you know, Hunter Biden was down with anything. There won't be charges in that. 
we already knew there wouldn't be charges in that. They're not going to charge a Democrat for a crime. I mean, they're Democrats. Don't you realize what you're talking about here? But it is rather ironic that as all this is going on, Democrats are forgiving other Democrats. And that's what not filing charges, in fact, is, is Democrats forgiving other Democrats. They're letting it slide. It's good. It's all good. Go ahead. Talk about equal justice under law. You talk about all of the problems that this country has, and you have the President of the United States getting away with it, accusing Republicans of doing what he, in fact, has done. You will not hear the end. You will talk about the president of the United States mishandling classified documents, Donald Trump mishandling classified documents. Joe Biden will talk about that. Joe Biden has mishandled classified documents. He will talk about Donald Trump doing it in an unironic way. Wrapped in a security blanket of knowing that there is not a single person with a press credential, except for maybe Peter Ducey, who will dare point out the irony or the hypocrisy. Just won't do it. Just can't do it. Probably get fired if they did it, actually. It's really amazing. It's really disgusting. (laughs) Just to be honest with you, it's really disgusting. Speaking of disgusting, I saw this story, and I just wanted to touch on it really quickly because these sorts of things drive me nuts. You know, the... Joe Biden has been credibly accused of rape. Whether he did it or not, I don't know. The credibly accused of rape is a a liberal Democrat did it, a former staffer named Tara Reid. It wasn't, you know, what she accuses Joe Biden of doing meets the legal definition of rape. It might not be what people immediately think of when they think of rape, but make no mistake, it is rape. And you have... uh, They don't care. They've never reported it as rape. They said that he made uh, moves, sexually assaulted, sexually harassed. It's not sexual harassment when you shove your hands into somebody's underpants. It's just not. It's just not. It crossed the line long before that. But they don't call it that because that would be inconvenient. And then there's this curious thing about the media and teachers. I think it has a lot to do with social media where these teachers are seemingly more often than not, or maybe it's just as being widely reported and it was happening and it just wasn't widely reported. The uh, teachers having sex with students. They call it rape when it's a male teacher and a female student. Right? Now, statutory rape is rape. If you are below the age of consent, you cannot consent to sex with an adult. You can't by law. It's unambiguous. If you're, you know, depending on the state, 14, 15, 16 years old, 17 years old, you cannot consent to have sex with an adult. I don't know. Maybe you can't consent to have sex with anybody. Definitely with an adult, legally. But when there is a female teacher, you know, these little, these cute 20-something female teachers, they all seem to be married. There's something wrong with these people who had these, they refer to them as affairs. 
with their students. It's not an affair. It's rape. They're raping them. It doesn't matter if they're into it. If a 30-year-old man is having sex with a 15-year-old girl and the 15-year-old girl swears up and down, I love him. Doesn't matter in the eyes of the law or in the eyes of anybody. They'd look at that guy as a rapist and they'd put him away as fast as humanly possible. And they'd be absolutely justified in doing it. Yet, curiously, when the genders are reversed, it's different. New York Post. A married Virginia teacher faces up to 50 years behind bar, bars after pleading guilty to having sex with her 14-year-old student over the school year at his home where her DNA was recovered from his bed linens. What is, having sex? What are they, criminalizing sex? What is she going to prison for? The headline screams, Married Virginia teacher admits to sneaking into 14-year-old student's home to have sex in his bed. Well, with her husband? Or with the 14-year-old? Because the 14, it's the 14-year-old. That's rape. Why isn't the headline, Virginia teacher admits to raping 14-year-old student? Regardless of where it was, the part about sneaking into his home to have sex in his bed is meant to shock, my God, right under the parent's nose. When the real crime, the real outrage is she raped this kid. Megan Pauline Jordan, 25, who taught at Hungary Creek Middle School in Hernrico County, pleaded guilty to four counts of carnal knowledge and one count of indecent liberties of a minor, which are all felonies, according to WRIC. What's about rape? During the 2022-23 school year, Ms. Jordan was having sexual relations with her 14-year-old student. Enrico County Commonwealth Attorney Shannon Taylor announced Tuesday in the Richmond Times-Dispatch. On several occasions, Ms. Jordan would go to the victim's house and have sexual intercourse with a student. Her DNA was recovered from his bed linens, Taylor added. Jordan, who was arrested in June 2023, was initially charged with five counts of carnal knowledge of a minor and two counts of indecent liberties with the minor. They're just, it's legal terms for rape. They just don't use want to use the word. I don't know why. She continues to be held without bail and faces 50 years in prison when sentenced on May 20th, Taylor said. The school district called Jordan's arrest, quote, an extremely serious and upsetting situation, end quote, in an email to parents last year. Don't you love that? It's very upsetting. It's very disturbing. How about it's sick? It's evil. It's wrong. The genders were reversed. Would they be sitting there using all these euphemisms going, well, you know, it's really one of those things. It just was one of the damnedest things. I don't know what to tell you. Quote, we have communicated with families at the school and will continue to support our school community in any way needed, it said in the message. One person claimed on social media that Jordan was his teacher. Quote, I knew there was something wrong with her and the student's relationship. The student wouldn't do any of the work and she wouldn't even bat an eye, the user wrote. I noticed subtle flirting and teasing. The tension between them was insane. She deserves a life sentence for grooming this poor kid, end quote. And that's really what this is. This is child grooming. 
if it were a man doing this, we'd all be in favor of tarring and feathering him and putting him in a wood chipper. But it's a, a woman. It's a 25-year-old girl. It's only an 11-year difference. It's this, that, and the other thing. No. It's rape. It's rape. It's wrong. And yet we as a society go, ah, you know what? The dude probably wanted it. Well, can a 14-year-old... You can't argue that a 14-year-old can't decide their gender, but they can decide to get it on with a teacher. Right? You have to be kind of consistent on these things. 14-year-olds are not capable of making these sorts of decisions. Remember Vili Falal and Mary Kay Letourneau? And she had a baby with him when he was like 12 or something like that. And like, oh, it's a love story for the ages. And they've made movies about it where they're like, ah, she probably shouldn't have done it. But they really do love each other. It's sick. They've never seen a movie where like there's a male teacher. He's 28. She's 16. Their love was forbidden, but it would not be denied. It's because it was true. No, there's none of that. It was true love. No. It's statutory rape. Statutory rape is rape. If trans women are women, then statutory rape is just rape, right? Statutory rape means that the person technically didn't fight it off, I believe. Uh, it's a little bit, the participant was willing but unable to give consent because of their age. Just as evil. Throw them in jail. Throw this teacher in jail. She's looking at 50 years. I'll be surprised if she gets five. I'll be surprised if she gets five. We'll see how widely reported the sentence is relative to the charges because the media absolutely loves these charges they get all they comb all the social media for the picture there's a picture of her and her husband i'm sure her husband is super proud to have his picture associated with this monster that he married splashed across the pages of one of the most popular newspapers in the world and there she is they found all of her pictures on social media and she's just smiling and you no know, and, and not nope she's a rapist but nowhere in this article, word search shows, nowhere in this article does the word rape come up at all. Nope. Forbidden love. Yeah, because it's rape. That's why it's forbidden. Anyway, that's enough for today. We'll stop there. We'll put a pin in it. Come back tomorrow to talk about whatever stupidity transpires between then and now. Lord knows there's going to be some. There's probably going to be a lot. God help us all. Check out the patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast. You can email me, Derek Allen Hunter at gmail.com. Tomorrow's Friday, so at least we got that going for us. See you then. Thanks. Thanks.